Hatihei Mauriora, Inga Mana, Inga Rio, Ero Rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiative's podcast show, Tamangai the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life. Today, uh, we're grateful to have with us uh, Alan Johnson. Kia ora, oh, Alan. Kia ora. Great kia ora, to have Steve. you with us, bro. Uh, so, Alan is a social policy analyst, uh, born and bred from Manurewa. I'll let him introduce with his whakawhanungatanga uh, in a moment. Uh, but uh, one thing, uh, Alan, with you is that uh, the reason we've got you in is your State of the Nation address. It, uh, and I read it every year. And uh, I really like um, the, the sensitivities that you bring to some real serious social issues and I'm really looking forward uh, to sharing a bit of that and opening that up while we also learn about you and, and who you are. So, uh, yeah, kia ora, Alan. And uh, so, so where are you from? Manurewa oh, my, somewhere? My whakapapa, <laughs> I'm, I'm Ngāti Pākehā. Um, my, my ancestors arrived here around 1840 at Pōneki. Pōneki. Um, they came from you know, England and Ireland and Scotland. Um, they they settled in the Hawke's Bay. Um, my, I think my great great grandmother is the first Parkow woman to have have been buried in the Esk Valley. Um, oh wow! And so we've got have a long uh, history back in Hawke's Bay, and as well my on my father's side, um, my great great grandfather landed here about eighteen sixty in Auckland, and and for, mm. for for much of that they lived in Parnell. So a bit of Auckland, wow. a bit of Tamaki Makoto, and a bit of Heratonga. So that's um, back Parnell, right in the beginning. Aye, aye. Yeah, right in the beginning. Far out, um, yeah. And, and they had a little, little, tiny little house there, which I remember as a kid was pretty grotty. It's not the Parnell yeah, today. Yeah, now it's only worth about four million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, we, <laughs> if, if we had the wit to hang on to it, but uh, yeah, and, and my parents, uh, they came up from from the Hawks Bay. My dad right. was a veteran. Um, he he was um, in the in the navy during the war. Um, he he joined up when he was sixteen. He was fighting the Japanese when he was seventeen, and wow. and um, and he was at the uh, J Force, um, which was the occupation. Hang on a minute, you couldn't sign up. When you were 16? Yeah, you could as a seaman boy, basically. As a seaman boy? Yeah, yeah. so he volunteered oh, wow. and he was fighting as a 17-year-old. Um, never talked much about the war, but, I, but, but from what I've heard, it, it, it traumatised him immensely, particularly the suffering of the Japanese people. Um, mm. He also um, had the misfortune of visiting Nagasaki, and um, subsequently when I was a teenager, he developed cancer. Um, which from was the a, fallout of the yeah, nuclear the, from, bomb, we, we think it was related to well, the sort of, uh, uh, exposure to radiation and stuff like that. And mum and dad, they came to Auckland around 1955 and uh, lived actually somewhere around around here in Newtown. Um, and then same I, with our uh, yeah, my gra- yeah, our yeah. grandmother and grandfather right here in Newton Gully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mum worked at a little factory across. Well, it's probably not there now. It's probably um, been cleared for the motorway. But the reality is that. They were just working. working. So they were here in Newton Gully? Yeah. yeah. Same as yeah. our grandparents, yeah. 1938, 39. Yeah. Uh, oh, this was in the 50s. They were here. And, um, mm. and then they, um, um, they got a house, you know, with the, with the big um, uh, housing assistance programs that, that the government was yeah. running back in the 60s, and, and they bought a house out in Manadewa, um, where I grew up. And still live. I don't live in the same house, but I grew up there, and it was interesting. We, I mean, many many people would probably have this experience of all these young families in the same street, all the much <laughs> the same Māori and Pākehā, and it became yeah. like an extended family. You know, we called yeah, the right. next door neighbours auntie and uncle, and and it, you know we reinvented Farno, I think, and yeah, yeah. and even now some some of my best friends, are, you know, kids I've known awesome. since guys I've known since I was three. What? And uh, so you know, cool. I still see them, and, and uh, so we still share time together. Whanaungatanga, eh? Increasingly, we're going to, to, to their parents' tangi and stuff like that, but you know, oh. it's, it's one of those things. 
Oh, wow, wow. And what's, what high school did you go to? Oh, I went to good old Manadewa High School. Oh, okay. I won't say much okay. about that. Did you play in the rugby? or? Oh, I played rugby, um, oh, but I was too skinny to play rugby, so I, so I, <laughs> so I took up distance running, mainly, d- in d- athletics. D- distance yeah. running. Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you any good at that? Oh, better than I was at rugby, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was the same, eh? I used to play for Ponsonby. I went to Kelston, played yeah. for Kelston. Oh, man, the games were hard. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, Ponsonby Kelston, so play um, play for Kelston in the morning, and then in the afternoon, me and Greg would go and play for Ponsonby Kelston, <laughs> the club. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you get bashed. By yeah, 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 yeah. I got sick of being. I, I was. I used to get concussed all the time, and my mum said if I kept if I got concussed anymore, I'd I'd have to give it up. And I used to come home sort of like half stunned, but pretend I was just yeah, sleeping. Yeah. You know, so in the end, I think um, it was probably a good thing that I gave up playing rugby. So. Uh, well, we always like to know sort of a little bit of the progression. So you went there, then what happened? Did you go to university? Yeah, or? I went. I was. A, I'm a, I've been a Scarfie. I went to Otago University, ah, um, right. and I studied surveying down there. Um, I was really keen. My dad was a draftsman and, and you know involved in civil engineering, and and that's mm. what really interested me. But to be honest, I decided I'd study surveying as opposed to civil engineering, mainly to get away from my mates because I, I figured that if I hung around my mates. Uh, they were all just hoons in, in South yeah, Auckland. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have done very well, so I, I sort of oh, left oh. home at eighteen and, <laughs> and went, went 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 off to university. And um, and I was pretty unsettled there. You know, um, after a couple of years, I worked out I didn't really want to be a server. Mm. Um, and then when I um, finished that course, um, there was no jobs around. It was the middle of a recession, and so I went back to Auckland. When's university. this, bro? Right? Where- oh, about um, nineteen eighty one, eighty two. So I went back to Auckland University and studied town planning there. And um, when I finished that, I was really keen on economics. I'm really, really fascinated by economics. And I, really, I should have done economics right at the start. I'm just curious because I did economics and I struggled to find anything fascinating. Oh, I think it's so, a wonderful thing. Yeah, no, no. I'm, you know, what's, what's, one of the things, I, I'm not certain where you were in 1981, but I was involved with the Springbok Tour uh, protests a little bit, you know? Yeah, I remember um, watching it on TV. Yeah, not, yeah. not a lot, but, but just a little bit. And then Muldoon won that election subsequently. And, and I was devastated. You know, I just, I was, I thought. You know, and, uh, this was the worst thing that could have happened. Um, and I remember the Springbrook tour, and I remember the bitterness and the rancour that it caused. And, um, and and I thought, well, you've got to get involved in things, you know. Um, earlier that year, I'd, I was um, unemployed um, and and working on a, one of those make-work schemes on the Ruahapi and Marae down in Hastings, you know. <laughs> I stayed with my auntie, and there was me and all these Māori guys from, guys from the works that couldn't get into the works, and, and we were just chipping weeds on the side of the road. And that, you know, yep. I, I, that was the first time I, any, I had much to do with the Marae. I mean, you know, you know the Māori families in our, in yeah, our neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah, sure. and, um, you know, you know we, we intermingled with that, but it was the first time I had much to do with Marae. And, and, what I, and at the end of that year, I thought, look, the two things I need to do in my life is I need to understand te ao Māori and te ao Pākehā. Mm. And so I set myself two goals. One was to, to, was to study economics, and the other was to study te reo. And so um, um, I went off to university in night school, and, um, and um, in the end I ended up with a master's degree in economics. Um, it just it sort mm. of I just drifted along, and then, oh, gosh, I could do this, so I ended up doing okay. it. So what is what – is what is a master's in economics? Well, it's, it's it's two years past a bachelor's, of course. So, um, yeah. So, 
Um, Some of our listeners don't know what that is either. Very yeah, well, it, it, an undergraduate degree goes for three years, and oh, then yeah. a, a master's degree goes for two years after that. Okay. Um, so it's a five-year course of study specialising in economics. So economics is a study of money? Economics not, isn't a study of money. It's a study of the allocation of scarce resources. Scarce um, resources. And, you know, the thing that fascinates me is, is that I think that the Parkour world is dominated by economics. Um, not to say that I agree with that, but, but to say that's, mm. that's the way it is. And I really um, studied it so I could understand it. Um, and, um, and then that's, that, that's led me in all sorts of places, which, which I never contemplated earlier. Yeah, well. um, I, I worked for Auckland City Council for seven years, where, where I ended up being the strategic development manager. Um, and then I sort of dropped out of that because it was, you know, I, I, I couldn't handle the bureaucracy. Um, ended up lecturing at Unitech in the social Ooh, social practice course. <laughs> um, and, and ironically, I was lecturing in social policy and sociology, and I'd never done soci- sociology in my life. So I was oh, busy what? reading the textbook ahead of the students so, so, so that I could um, um, know something about yeah, yeah. Weber and, um, and Marx and all of them. And um, right. um, quite fascinated by that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and then after a, after a couple of years or three years at Unitech, I... Um, I um, I went back and, and worked for the Auckland Regional Council as a, as a strategist, um, and then a strategist for well, well basically around land, um, urban development strategy and, and things like that. So, um, and urban then I development went is so that maybe tell our listeners what that is a little bit. Well, it's the way cities grow. I've always been fascinated by cities. That's what led me to want mm. to be a surveyor. I was always fascinated by the way that cities grow, and when you and when you're a kid that grow up in the suburbs. Change was was always happening, you know, and you yeah, saw yeah. new subdivisions and new houses and the whole thing. This, yeah. the, the, the place just kept on expanding. Yeah, and really who planned that and who did that? Yeah, you know, what, what yeah. drives this? And and one of the things that uh, – where I grew up was a pretty crap neighbourhood, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't crap in our sense of, um, you know, gangs and drugs and all that. It was just pretty boring, you know. There, was, there were no parks. You had to play on the street. You kicked the football up and down the street, and when the cars came along, you got out of the way. Um, you know, there wasn't yeah. a lot to do, and it was it was just a st- sterile suburb. And I go back there from time to time and think, this place hasn't changed at all. It's still as boring <laughs> as it was when I was a kid, you know. And I just thought maybe right. we could do better in terms of the way we build cities and create people's environments. And that, that's right. what interests me most about um, being, a, being a surveyor, a planner, and an economist. I just love cities. And when I was with the ARC, we were, we were working on land use strategies and sustainability issues and things like that. Um, mm. So it was a really interesting job. Um, and after that, I got recruited into the Salvation Army's um, social policy and parliamentary unit. Um, so that's like you switched into a bit of a Christian perspective. Well, I've always been a Christian. I always count myself as a Christian. I oh. was ra- raised a Catholic. Oh, cool. Um, yep. And um, I'm still not a Salvationist. I, you know, I, 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 I have problems. Well, no, I don't have problems, but I, I like my beer and wine too much to become a Salvationist. And, um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you know, I work sure. for them. Um, sure. I, I, I really love that organisation. Um, uh, and and I think they're doing wonderful things, and I'm glad oh, they've given yeah. me the opportunity to do that. It's it's just been it's just been an, a huge opportunity. Um, and so with that, it has eventuated a platform to be able to speak nationally and on some of the what do you call it? The 24. Oh, I'm trying to remember what you have in there. You have 24 things. Oh, 24 there. indicators on the indicators, na- on the, on right? the state of the nation report. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So and that's how that's come about. Mm. Right. Yes. Um, my my former boss Campbell Roberts he came up with the with the idea of of having a state of the nation report, 
Campbell and I said, this is, and he wanted to launch it around Waitangi Day because that's a day that we think about our nationhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we yeah. saw that. I said, this is really good, Campbell. But the trouble is it's about the, the second week in December and we've got Christmas. <laughs> so I wrote the first one in six weeks over Christmas and it was pretty right. rough. Uh, yeah, we've yeah. Now, but it's now been going for 10 years. Um, it really has filled a gap, I think, in terms of um, talking about social progress here in Aotearoa. You know, every day of, of every, every hour of every day, we get bombarded with economic statistics about the interest rates, yes, exchange yeah. rate, the, the, the stock market index. And, and everyone gets to think those are important, but we don't talk, for example, about what's happening with um, child poverty or youth, un- youth unemployment or, or suicides and things like that. And, mm. you know, those are the things that really matter to a, to a society. It's not whether or not the, the stock market index went up or down today. And... What we hoped to do with the State of the Nation was was make those things accessible to, to, to ordinary ordinary New Zealanders. You know, talk talk about them in ways that an interested public mm. could 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 uh, get into. Yeah, because I must admit, I read them every year, um, and I it's kind of a go to to give you a strata on on where we are as a society on looking at the gauges essentially sure. of a, across the spectrum of things. Yeah, yeah. I, as I say, I call it a strata, looking through a whole lot of layers, eh? And what I like about the way you do it is you tend to cut out the fluff and sort of state. I just like the way that you have, I don't know, you encapsulate it. Sort of here it is and a little bit on it, and I find I find that really good. Yeah. And it's almost like a go-to, really, and then you go to the Herald and everywhere else sort of dog for a broader yeah, sort of yeah. buy-in. But most of them are quoting now leveraging off yes, they are. off what you say and uh how do you feel what's that like you know i, I want to drill into the document itself actually yeah, sure, we'll sure. come back to that because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I do want to get yeah. that, that that opinion so you started out 10 years ago yeah was it? yeah right. we, we, okay. we've been doing it for 10 years now um and largely kept to the same formula um yeah. w- you know after a couple of years we refined it and was and it seemed to be hitting the mark um, and we so you know we we we've ch- chosen not to change it. Um, I think sooner or later it'll have its day. Um, but we, we've been quite blessed with with the with the take up it's had. Um, and I think part of that's to do with with how how it's written and and its content. But I think also you mm. know how it's presented yeah. is, is really important too. Absolutely. And the fact that Salvation Army is well regarded. Mm, um, it has the mana. Yeah, it has the mana. You know, like you know, it, it just is massively well regarded. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army is a, a, quite a small organisation as a church. It's, it's, it's a tiny yeah, church. Tiny, yeah. The reality is it's, 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 it's influence uh, in New Zealand politics is, is immense. And it's quite, I don't know if people know that, but when you look at the religious um, numbers on the stats every was it three or four years. Yeah, every census. I yeah. had a look at the last one yeah. for Salvation Army. About 5,000 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the parish that I belong to, the, the St Anne's and, and, and Manorewa, has more people in the parish, <laughs> in, the, in the Catholic parish in Manorewa than, than, than the whole of the Salvation gr- Army in yeah, Aotearoa. Yeah, great influence yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. for such a small organisation. Yeah. It's got a huge heart. Yeah, it has. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's been some tensions there. I mean, I'm a bit too liberal for them. Um, you know, I, I, there's things I've said that um, I don't think the leadership's altogether happy with, um, but they've been very supportive of me. I mean, sure. once uh, one, one year I spoke at, a, at the um, CTU um, rally outside Parliament on Budget Day, and I, I went down as Alan Johnson's citizen, and, and then they introduced me as, as from the Salvation Army, oh. and there was all these complaints about the Salvation Army <laughs> aligning itself to trade unions. And, and, and you know, one of, one of the leaders said, 
And I thought she was wonderful. She said, if Jesus was alive today, he'd probably do the same. So, you know, I mean, I think they're, they're very, <laughs> sure. very trusting and very supportive of me, and I've, and, and, I, and I've been really blessed. It's the best job I've ever had. And I'm amazed at the influence we've managed to wield. Yeah, I um, as I say, I, I read it. Uh, it's, I look forward to it. Uh, I don't always feel good when I'm reading some of the startling things like like I think you touched on you touch on some of those the social level things like the methamphetamine yes. increase yes. Um, particularly in, in uh, you know in parts of Aotearoa I'm not yeah, going to yeah, name yeah. any but yeah. uh, that certainly was a bit of a shock when you, that was quite top how yeah, much that yeah. had increased and also the incremental increase in the crime uh, yeah the, the, the crime rates crime. what's interesting is that uh, you know, it's hard to measure crime because a lot of crime's not reported. Mm. Um, and even when you do go and report it, sometimes the police don't bother even recording it. So the reality is when, when you see the police stats on crime, that they're, they're only a sort of tip of the iceberg. About one in six crimes actually get recorded. Wow. Um, and so it's difficult to know whether the crime rates are falling or just the way the police are recording yeah. them has changed. But there is some evidence to say crime's falling. Um, and and it's probably fallen about thirty percent in the last uh, ten years or so. Wow! Um, but our prisons are overflowing. Yeah, because that's know? the next thing I was going to say. Yeah. The pris- prisons have surged. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, there's, crime there's falling? a record prisons? number of people in, in behind bars now, and as we know, you know half of those are Māori. Um, More than so, half. What's that? More than half. Just over yeah. half. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we all know and uh, as well that. Um, young Māori are more likely to be apprehended for a, for an offence. If they're apprehended, they're more likely to be charged. If they're charged, they're more likely to be convicted. If they're convicted, they're more likely to go to prison. If they go to prison, they're more likely to go back to prison. Yeah. And we've asked continuously, why is that? What's wrong with the system yeah. that 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 accentuates uh, Māori problems? You know, um, in terms of how is it that that all, and every time Māori come off worse than that system. And it must be systemic racism, but you know, to date, no one's bothered to answer that. Answer yeah, that we had a gentleman called Adam in here, a landscaper who worked with Parimarima Prison uh, for. Uh, he does the garden show, and he worked with Parimarima Prisons prisoners who uh, contributed to the artworks, and uh, it was a fantastic show. And but what was startling was the recidivist the recidivist rate was something like eighty yeah, yeah, percent, yeah. uh, which really, really um, was a shock. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, you're touching on that. Maybe that's um. So you 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 kind of call these. You put up the gauges. You put up the information, and uh, for people to like be informed. Yes. But hopefully that it what raises some consciousness to do something to combat it. Now I know that at policy level, you're having some input there. You're contributing. At some government levels, or yeah, we've got to be a bit careful about that because you can get compromised by the government. And so, um, <laughs> right, just before Christmas, I, the Minister of Housing asked me and two other people to do a, a sort of state of the state of the nation housing report. Right, yeah, and that was released in late January, um, and you know that was, I did that. Um, based, or the Salvation Army paid for my time to do that, so that that was you know all, all the name, name of public service. But I think there's a limit to how much you can, how close you can be with the government before you start to become compromised by by them. And and for us, I think we we, we still want to retain that independence. Um, we want to be apolitical, 
um, in a sense that we don't have a favourite between National and Labour. Um, we want to we want An to objective position as, 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 as you can to, get it. To, to all of them and to bear witness. You sure. know that that idea, that Quaker idea of bearing witness, and, yeah, and that's certainly good, eh? that's something that the army really, um, really, re- really is passionate about 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 saying things that may not be popular, but saying them because they need to be said. Mm, mm, mm. What do we? I suppose I'm trying to think like. We have an issue in Māori, particularly in Tomika Makaito, around housing, and that's kind of been a touch point here on the podcast show uh, because it keeps our, our contributors keep bringing it up. Sure. Uh, we know that about, I think it's 82% of, well, no, put it the glass half quarter yeah, full, 18%, 18%. Uh, live, uh, own a home. The other 82% of Māori in Tomika Makaito uh, rent and uh we know that uh, of that 80%, uh, more than 50% living in quite low socioeconomic conditions. Uh, and who's doing anything about it? You know, so one of the things was we're getting a lot of data uh, and we've been sort of poking that question a little bit, throwing it around, saying how do we... Because we know that the family unit, right? Mm. If, you, if you're a mum, dad and you've got a home and it's safe and it's warm and healthy... Well, that's good for the family. It's good for the whānau, good for our tamariki, good for education, learning, mm-hmm. and hauora. Uh, but we're not there. We're not in that space. And uh, what's your what's your take on that? Look, I think the problems we've got in housing, particularly in Tamaki Makaurau, uh, have been 20 years in the making, and they're going to be 20 years in the resolution, unfortunately. Um, oh, where? Yeah. I think the... You want to unpack that a little bit? Well, <laughs> you know... Hang on, so 20 years in the making... You know, we, we, you've got to go back a long time. The 19, you know, what happened was home ownership rates peaked in 1991, which was the time of the benefit cuts. And, right. and that government of that day, Ruth Richardson and Jim Bolger and the National Party, took away all the um, home ownership support programs. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And, and from then on, home ownership rates started to fall. And it's not a, a state of nature. It's not an accident of history. It, it's, it's, it's quite closely related to what governments haven't done since then, you know. Um, and I think what we've seen is the underinvestment in affordable housing ever since. Uh, we've seen um, deterioration in families' incomes, you know, um, particularly the working longer yes. for the same same sort of money. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've seen real pressure from immigration and, and population pressures coming with that, that that have pushed housing prices yeah. up. And so, ultimately, the people at the bottom, who generally tend to be Māori and Pacific Island families, are the ones left left with nothing. Um, yeah. And if we're going to reverse that, I think we need something quite radical. We're not going to reverse it by tinkering. And the government, with their Kiwi Bill program, you know, we, we think it's a wonderful program. Mm. Um, they claim yeah, that, that, that me and Campbell Roberts invented it, but I don't recall that. But <laughs> certainly, I think it would be great if, if, if they understood both the enormity of the task, how huge it is to do this, to build 100,000 houses in well, 10 years. It's more like 140 to 180, actually. Yeah. Um, and and wow. also how how it can transform our, our society. You know, mm. I think this is a nation-building thing. You know, I think um, the Generation X and the Millennials, I think now, are obviously, now are, are, are the ones with the political power. Um so you're, they, they, you're, they've you're, inherited you're, an absolute mess yeah. from my generation, the baby boomers. Um, yeah. And I think if, if, if we had the courage and the, and the imagination as a country, we, we, could, 
we could do something quite special through the vehicle of housing. It's not just, as we know, yes. it's not just a house. It's not even just a family. It's it's the way we build lives and aye, communities. Aye, and totally. and I, you know, I, I had the good fortune of growing up in a in a house that mum and dad owned and same, it was same m- for largely us. supported by the state. You know, um, sure it was pretty boring. You know, but every night I went to bed and I was secure under the roof that Killed my parents my owned. Same. And I think about kids who aren't. Mm, um, totally. And kids in my position now probably would be living in, 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 in a very expensive rental rental uh, house that their parents uh, struggle to pay the rent on, you know. And that's just the difference in terms of two generations. And mm. I think it's a great shame that um, we've accepted that as being that's the, the way norm things are. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my my daughter to go to go to college, yeah, has to stay in the city, and that that rent the cheapest we could get was two hundred and sixty five dollars a week. Mm. And we live in Tomek and Makoto, yeah, yeah. for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's how stark, that's how, I think, how traumatising this situation is. That was her portion of it, that's not the total amount. Oh, no, that's just her half of yeah. that that, that yeah. little apartment. Man, I went and had a look at it uh, two weeks ago when they moved in. I just could not believe it. 500 and, 500 and something, $80 a week. Yep. No car and park. Rent, oh, I think rents are going to go up further yet. There's such a shortage. Yeah. Hard to see how things are going to change. Right. And, um, rents are just going to keep on rising. Alan, I, I want to go back and revisit something you said just right at the beginning when I asked that question. You you kind of made a statement around underinvestment. I, I thought that was really interesting the way you put that. Can we just you talk about the un, the underinvestment in affordable housing? Mm. What could you unpack that a little bit? Because I think that's that's really interesting. Look, if you look particularly in Auckland, but elsewhere as well, um, the average house that's being built is around 180, 200 square metres. It's a big wow. house. You know, I'm not yes. certain about the house that you grew up in, but I grew up in a house that was about 100 square metres, 120. Yeah, yeah universal, three-bedroom. Three-bedroom three one. Glen Dean, yep. yeah, same. And, and it was, you know, you know, we had five kids. It was, it was a bit crowded, but it wasn't too bad, you know. Um, nowadays, the, the houses are being built are one and a half to two times the size of those. Not, we don't build these small, modest work, family uh, houses, working family houses. Um, we build apartments in the city, uh, mm. but we build sort of almost McMansions in the suburbs, and they and and they cost a million bucks, you know, 900,000. I went up to Hobsonville bucks. and I had a look at them. Yeah. I could not believe what house what you were getting for. I couldn't see anything under nearly nine hundred yeah, grand, yeah. up to about one point four, and yeah. that one point four was. Not yep. much, and we're we're not building the sort of houses that housed ordinary families fifty years ago. We're just not doing that. And right. The reason we're not doing it is because the government hasn't been involved in anything in, in the last twenty years. You know, it really hasn't been involved in building any houses. So the market builds these big flash houses um, or apartments. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Nothing in between. And right. what's tended to happen is that all the houses, such as the one that you grew up in and the one I grew up in, have been sold to investors and they're rented out now. So the investment property didn't actually create houses; it just bought up the existing homeowner-occupied home, home houses. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so there's been no real investment in, in, in that in those in those modest houses that many of us grew up in. And that's that's the reason now that we that we've got the, the, the shortage of affordable housing that we have. Wow, so Kiwi mum and dads turn the housing market into their own stock exchange. Yep, yep. 
Um, and it was a baby boomers. Uh, mm. You know, they, they, they often, and, and myself included, got the advantage of all those sort of subsidies to get into home ownership. Uh, the values of those houses rose. You leveraged yeah. the houses to get another house. You got, kept you going. got tax incentives to do that. The government comes along and gives tenants money through the accommodation supplement to help them pay the expense of rent. Everyone's happy. Yeah. Well, everyone that's, that's on the on the ownership side of that 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 Equation, divide, you know, yeah. we're quickly becoming a society of people who own and people who don't own, you know. And it is to a degree divided by age, but it is also divided by ethnicity. Um, wealthy middle middle aged middle class park yard versus the rest, and it's a, it'll be a great shame if, as a society, we, we we descended to that. But but that's where we go. What caught my attention, Alan? Uh, I think it was the last year, early last year, that statistic came out that thirty five percent of the houses bought in Tamaki Makoto were bought by foreign foreign foreigners and foreign investment, and then we discovered that thirty thousand of them in Tamaki Makoto were empty. Had been purchased offshore, but was sitting vacant. Yeah. Uh, it shook me. It, it really shook me to my core, and uh, I, I think that started my journey of inquiry, and then starting to see what can we do to contribute in that for Māori and Pacifica to have what I call a, what I said to Phil, uh, the minister Phil Twyford, was a fair go uh, for our people to, to to be able to have the opportunity of first time ownership. Uh, I now know the realities of that uh, are, are challenging. Mm. Yeah, they are. Um, I think it's important, you know, that foreign ownership thing I think is an important issue and the government has clamped down on that and I think that's why we're seeing housing markets, um, you know, sort of being fairly flat at the Yeah, moment. the plateau, eh? But I think it's important that we don't label everybody who's um, <laughs> not so-called Kiwi um, as a foreigner oh, because there's a lot of yeah, people sure. who have come here and, 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 you know, the migrants who have been allowed to come here, good for them. Um, they've oh, done what my ancestors did a hundred and you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. seventy years yeah, ago. Yeah. They went, they they struck out for a better life, and you know if if they're entitled to be here by by the law, I think we we have to welcome them. But there is a, those others that that really have no interest in New Zealand, really only see it as a, as a as a as a, um, a casino, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and for well, laundering money, eh? Yeah. We know so now, yeah. so I mean, I'm glad the government's clamped down on that, but. The bigger issue is how do we improve home ownership rates for young Māori and Pacific families? That's the question. And really, the only way to do that is to is to is to provide subsidies. You know, the government recently announced a, the the first part of the Kiwi build where they're going to build houses over in, in Unitec over in um, yep yep um, sold off the front so, half yeah around Mount Albert, Point Sheev way, and. The, the house is going to be six hundred thousand bucks. Well, that's not affordable to a working family, and and you I have know, to start. I read it. I was like, "What? How's that? Aff- that's not affordable." Yeah. And if, if five fifty is not affordable, five hundred isn't affordable. Yeah. I, I would have thought four fifty is about the top end of yeah. affordability. If, if the government, if that's all the government can do, then why bother doing it? You know, the market can do those things. We don't need to use public land and, and the public resources of the state to build houses that the market could build, and. I think the real, realistic thing is that we do need to subsidise those houses. I'm not certain how we do that. Do we subsidise uh, Fletchers to build those houses? Well, you know, I, I think... Here's a the, scary thought. No, well, well, previously we did. Previously... I hear Fletch- Fletcher's gone into prefab housing. Yeah, well, I think prefabrication is going to be the way to go. I think... Yeah, um, me too. I think... Um, in some respects, too, the, the, the government needs a, a, a vehicle to be able to do development itself. Uh, you know, ever since the days of Roger Roger Douglas, the, the state hasn't been able to do anything. It has to get the private sector to do everything. I'm not suggesting we have a, a monumental government department that builds roads and stuff, but the reality is that 
the government needs to be more hands-on um, mm. in terms of developing land, um, putting putting packages yes. together for housing, um, financing it, you know, then then allocating it to, to families and then financing them into the house, um, and the and the way we did fifty years ago. Um, and certainly that set up. That was Michael Joseph Savage. Well, yeah. it was even past that. It was even um, back into Keith Holyoke. You know, the yep. National Party did, even did it. And and those were the those were the policies that gave families like mine a start. You know, we we we, we our, my mm. ancestors, my grandparents weren't terribly. You know, they weren't well off. They you know they, and then my parents managed to managed to get a break partly because of home ownership. And I, I expect many. Uh, people can trace a family history that said that when my mum and dad or my nana and papa yep. came in, came into um, uh, up to Auckland, they got a house and they lived in that house for forty yep. years, and then they yep. go, and then we all managed to grow up there, and it's a it's a wonderful story. If it's not a bit boring, but it's still yeah. a wonderful story. Yeah, well, there was that Maori within the government. There was a Maori department that assisted, yeah, there was Maori right? affairs. Yeah, um, and what was interesting too, the tons the, of whānau yeah, got and, and, and and they basically. Um, Supported Farno Māori into into housing. I think got to the point, for example, if they got in arrears with their mortgage payments, some oh. knocked on their door and told them, you <laughs> oh, know, yeah. to clean their house up and 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 start paying their bills. A bit paternalistic, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, you know, the reality was that 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 was uh, a way in which those Farno could could um, claim a stake in the society. And I know, and you probably know, families have still got those houses. Mm, um, mm. And the houses are still in sure those whānau and still being used. To I hear it all the time. You know, it's um, it was prolo- it was every- yeah, a lot of whānau, especially yeah. in the west. Yeah, where we're from. Uh, so that's government. Um, we, do you foresee iwi? How do you how or do you foresee iwi contributing? Because seventy five percent of Maori live in urban places and spaces, so I suppose they're somewhat under that pan pan urban pan Maori kind of umbrella. Should what's your expectation? Should we be seeing more iwi um, treaty money being? Put into the into housing developments to for the seventy five percent of our people. You know, it's, I think that's a real vexed question. That's a really, really sure complicated is. question. <laughs> yeah. And you know, hey, I'm you, not trying to corner you. No, no, I'm you only need to look me. across the iwi to see that different iwi have different approaches to things. Naitahu have a very commercial approach. Oh yeah. Um, and yet other iwi have a more organic approach in terms of I, saying yeah. that that this is about. Um, this is about uh, our tanga, our, it might be tuhoi tanga or te arawa tanga or whatever uh-huh. it is, and it's about our rohi. And, yeah. and, and, and we've always been based here, and this is where we're going to. Yeah, uh, This is where we, we, we're going to put our investments. And you can see both, both angles. I think here we'd be ill-advised to take over state housing um, because what happens is the whānau doesn't pay the rent. Who's, go, who's, who's going to enforce up that tab. sort of stuff? Mm. So you, they'll be better off staying out of that, and and, uh, and feasibly it's the state's responsibility anyway. You know, I think it's important that we don't pick up the pieces for the government. Um, okay, the, the government, in my view, does have uh, the crown does have obligations to 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 um, to iwi and to and to tangata Māori anyway in terms of the you know the the, the, the settlements from the from the uh, from the treaty, but also in terms of the injustices and 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 the and the gaps that have that, that have evolved since the Ropatu and, 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 and that. And I think that that should be the role of the state to pick that up. It shouldn't be the role of Iwi to, to, to pick it up for, for for the government. But I think Iwi could perhaps sort of 
look at ways in which they can support their their um, their members um, in in the urban areas, um, perhaps as a, almost as a commercial venture. Right. Um, yeah. But you see, if you were for say you were Napui, right? Napui still, as you know, still haven't really set, done much in the way of trees. Uh, not yet. <laughs> they they are the most numerous iwi. Um, you go up north. It's like one hundred twenty thousand. Yeah, one hundred twenty thousand. You go up north. There's there's a lot of poverty up there still. Um, I would have thought that if if Napui and the various um, uh, hapu and iwi within that confederation do start getting treaty settlements, they'd have to look at what they can do in their own rohi first, you know, um, yeah. because it's, 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 there's been massive underinvestments there, and, and, yeah. and they'd have to catch mm. up. But um, I think it's important too, and, and, and we're seeing a little bit of it with iwi in terms of um, ensuring that those connections with their tribal members are, 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 yeah. are, are strong. Yeah, a mighty um, statutory board are there to be an advocate on behalf yeah. and try and hear the receive the voices of, a, yeah. of the iwi and yeah. so that uh, our Māori in the urban spaces can sort of connect and, and, and I suppose bring that... Um, Bring the levels of support that we need, but it's not easy, eh? It's no, not an easy space. Everyone's got different kind of views, um, and you know, um, yeah. increasingly, even even back in when I was a kid, did someone from from Tiara would marry someone from Napui, and and you know, so where where do the kids belong? Um, and now those kids have married someone from Samoa and someone <laughs> yeah. from from England, and 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 their kids have married someone, you know, someone from India. And mm-hmm. so the reality is the, the I mean it's going to be the case that in a few generations everyone every kid will have a fucker pup of some sort, you know. Yeah, um, but but then the affiliations and, and the loyalties are, are, are difficult to, 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 to work out. And mm-hmm. um, I think the Iwi really should be focusing on, on making certain that their Rohi is, 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 is a great place to live and mm. and I oh, know oh, for right. example Tiarawa are, are looking hard at ways in which they can attract their Rangatahi back to Ah and their waterways back, down yeah, there, yeah. eh? Yeah. Wow, wonderful way. Eh? Mm. Wonderful through there. Oh, one of the challenges I think we had through the four Māori is when you bring the government in like that, uh, from my my little world view of it, was some of it feels like it you know, you look at GI, uh, Point England, Pam Muir, I mean, not to pick on them, but other, many, there's this sort of danger of social experimentation. Oh, that's where you, Māori, go. You go there if you want to live and you want that support in a whare. And I, I, would, I don't want to see that repeat. I, I, it's one of the challenges we've sort of – that's quite a – that comes up quite a bit, Ellen. Uh how do we do that? And so I wondered about advocacy, you know, whether we need to do that better uh, through our iwi um, to advocate better to make sure that how we live and where we live are places that we want to live. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Look, I think there's two things here. One is there's nothing wrong with those suburbs. No, the mate, that's I'm wrong, not saying there is. Yeah, no, 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 you weren't. But, but people <laughs> no, say, no, well, no. you know, or or, or where I come from, yeah. you know, it's, it's been the butt of jokes for for ages about what a what a what a you know a gangster town it is. But the reality is that there's nothing wrong with my hometown. I love it. What's wrong with it is that the people are poor. That's what's wrong with it, and it's not the people's fault. It's just that they're poor. They, you know, they're, they're, and we've got a whole lot of rubbish like like liquor stores on every corner. You know. Drug dealing that's not really addressed, um, schools that that could do better, yeah, yeah. Um, facilitated yeah, eh? Yep. The, the government. So there's a whole set of things that make that place not not a great place to live. Well, I heard um, there were three of those districts where the government were pumping in a 
was it a billion dollars a year? Probably. In social spend? Yep, yep. Which is why the Tamaki, um, the, what was that, seven point strategy yep. from that Tamaki thing rolled out a few mm. years back to try and figure out uh, why are we blowing a billion dollars a year? Well, blowing a billion dollars because, because the society and the economy are broken. It's not because those people are broken, you know? That's right. And there were no and, community centres. It's patching up yeah. a, 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 a massive disaster. Um, but I think the other part of it is that the way housing markets and education markets work is that the poor are excluded, right? And so the middle class and the non-poor do everything they can to not live next door to the poor and not to have their kids go to the same schools as them, right? Um, and that inevitably means that Māori and Pacific people end up living one part of town and everyone else ends up living the other part of town, you know, because people, mm. um, they have preconceptions about what that means um, and, and you, you can see the way in which... Um, you know, the, the kids are bussed across town to go to school, yeah, better yeah, schools, so yeah. to speak. Uh, the schools that are there, and I'm on a board of a school in Manarewa, which is struggling. Um, you know, we're, we're left with with kids with lots of problems, mm. and and and, um, and not enough kids to, to to make the budgets work. And so we've got all those sorts of dynamics working as well. Um, the market, so so to speak, and 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 people being able to make personal choices for themselves and their family, which is, of course, absolutely fine. I mean, people should be able to do that. But the reality is that the excluded ended up living in certain parts yes. of town. Um, and then because they're under-resourced and poor, you know, a whole lot of other bad things happen and reinforce that, that, that inequality and that stereotype. Mm. Okay, then. So let's step, look at, if we look a little bit into the future, where do you think we, what do we... How do we do that better in this next step? So under labor, under labor, uh, they've got what initially the next three years. If they survive after that, uh, you know, then we've we've got a good period of time in which to what address some of these things. Uh, but looking forward, what do you see? How do we how do we work this through? How do we get more Māori Pacifica uh, being able to uh, in first home ownership? Look, the thing that we the the thing that we really need to do is lift wages, eh? You know, um, mm, and we need to make certain that our rangatahi have skills, um, and we need to inspire them to believe that their future can be different to what their parents was. You know, um, and I think sometimes I, I see the expectations of whānau are so so limited, and and, and might be judgmental, but. You know, if if you've failed in the Parkway education system, why would you expect your child to succeed? You know, mm, and there's I, a bit of Māori, eh? And I think um, you know the education system itself, with its Parkway value sets and 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 it's the way it's it really is a way of grading people to to work out who succeeds and who doesn't succeed. Um, and you know the fact that particularly young Māori boys are the ones who who are most excluded from schools. If we could change that and we could say, look, I mean, we're going to have a problem with having enough workers in this, in, the, in this country, right? The answer of the last government was to, to import um, students to, to, yeah. to be exploited by restaurant owners and orchardists and all that sort of stuff, you know? The reality is that we should have been investing in our rangatahi. We have 80,000 young people sitting around doing nothing today, um, and that's been a consistent figure. Say that again. 80,000, what they call NEETs, not an education, training or employment. And that's 18 to 25-year-olds, 80,000 of them, you know. And and, and these are people who have been through school, who have been through the various courses and and yet still can't 
find a place in the job market. We need those people. When the Christchurch earthquakes happened, the, the day after we should have been starting to train apprentices. But what do we do? Oh, we got we got we got brickies from Ireland and um, yeah. and uh, Thailand from the Philippines and, and all of that. You yeah. know, it was a whole lot easier rather than to train our people and just import them. Right, um, right. And if we had a society that said, look, everyone here um, should have an opportunity to 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 to, to to do exactly what they want as a job. There's an expectation that they're going to have a job, um, and just let wages rise. It, you know, it's the, one of the problems with the housing market mm. is that people aren't paid enough, um, particularly yes. people at the bottom. And you know, there's nothing wrong with with a tradesman getting eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. In my view, you know, they deserve mm. that. It's, oh, it's, it's yeah. hard work, hard and, 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 they, and they're skilled. So I think. Part of what we need to do is make certain that our rangatahi have access to training programs that they that they encourage at a very early age to think about what what their lives could be like, and and not not simply so as they well it's going to be much the same as as everything else around here. You know, one one of the things we're really seeing, for example, um, is the fall in teenage pregnancy rates. Yes, and that's an amazing thing. That's awesome, it's man. halved in about eight years, and what wow. that shows me is that. There's a whole lot of young people, particularly young women, who are taking, you know, take, taking control of their lives and saying, oh, "I don't want to have a child as an 18 year old, mm, 17 year old. I children. want to do something else with my life first. And it's great. And what we really need to do is encourage young people to say, "Hey, you know, there's a whole lot of things that that you could do." And, and I think we need to do it at an early age, when they're 10, 11, 12, not when they turn 18 or 19. You know, and, right. and they've been. Um, Sorry, Alan, I, I like that. So what? So for our listeners listening into that about our tamariki, around that earlier age, what are you what are you suggesting? Look, I think it's about then that expectations are set. You know? Wow. Um, yeah. You know, you know how we offer scholarships to 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 to, to um, students to go to tech or university from high school. Well, the kids who need those scholarships aren't the ones getting them because um, they're not even at school at that time. You know, they've already left. Mm. Um, and I think that expectations of young people are set quite quite early. Not not as a thirteen or fourteen year old, as a ten or eleven year old, mm. as they reach adolescence. Right. Um, and we just need to. And I know it's tough, but we need to be saying, um, look, think about, you know, think about your place in the world. Uh, think about, um, you know, well, one of the things I think about too is is in the school that I'm involved with, in an intermediate school, right? And that's those kids of that age, yeah, 11, 12, yeah. that, you know, listen to the call of your ancestors, listen to the call of your future. You know, there's oh, a whole yeah. set of things that, that if we were really clever, we could start to ensure that kids know where they are in terms of their, their, their whakapapa, in terms of, of, you know, for example, your tūpuna, you imagine the struggles that your tūpuna have gone through to get you here. Right. Hi. Massive struggles. Aye. They were the successful ones. Oh, yeah. And Ihaia. they struggled. Ihaia. No? Ihaia. And, 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 and we're obliged, <laughs> aren't we, Aye. to honour uh, honor our tupuna by doing the best we can. And that's what we should be saying to our tamariki, that, mm. you know, you, you, the mana of your ancestors is on your shoulders and you have to represent mm. that well. And you have to do the best you can because, you know, yeah. you are going to have children and grandchildren and they, they should do the best they can as well. Yeah, totoko, Alan. I really like, you know, we always try to cut segue in something about our tamariki, but I, I, I like the fact that you're actually advocating grabbing them earlier. Yep. Uh, 
which is something that our our tupuna did. They they looked at our their children, you know, and looked at them at a very young age and started to sift where they would best fit. Uh, according to those different assets that they saw in them. And they were invariably, they got it so right yes. uh, from very young ages. So if you're going to be an orator, you need to have the capacity for a, a mind to hold all the facts and the figures. Well, they were able to pick those ones out, yes. train them up, the warrior, the gardener, the yep. entertainer. Yep. They were, they were, we, we did that naturally. And yes. we, I think when I, heard you, when I heard you say that, is you're advocating, let's go back to that practice and find ways to bring it forward. Uh, to today, I think that's um... yeah. I, I look. I, I honestly believe that that children start to um, form a uh, you know, view of the world by, by by the time they're ten or eleven or twelve. You know, um, and it's important that they don't. I think a lot of the kids in the neighbourhoods like that I live in, you know, they grow up quite cynical. You know, um, they, they've seen the way the world works, and and they don't have a lot of uh, hope that 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 thing's going to be different. Um, and that might be on the way they've treated at school or the way their parents are treated or, you know, just mm. the way the, the, the aye, neighbourhood's aye. treated. Um, we have to break that cynicism. We have to, we have to say, look, you know, there's, there's massive opportunities. And I'm not talking about materialistic opportunities. I'm just saying, uh, that, you know, I think the best thing you can offer a, uh, offer a young person is, 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 the, is the ability to be self-determining, eh? to choose your own pathway. Aye, um, and, you know, that's certainly something that, yeah, we should be saying, hey, you know, whatever you choose to do in life, make certain it's your choice and not someone else's. Yeah, yeah. And that's sure certainly what my father offered me. He said, you know, get an education, and that way you've got choice. And, and I think that's still still the, the case today. Mm. Well, Alan, um, boy, that was some segueing, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, thank you for coming in, Alan. Um, I want another two hours. <laughs> I really do. Uh, we just really picked two of those 24 uh, I'd like to invite you back. We oh, want to certainly. get you back, and um, would that be all right? We'll yeah, sure. Get you back because I think you've got something we all want to hear, um, which is sometimes all the noise breaking through the noise and, and grabbing those gems of yes. of what you really bring, Alan, and uh, remind us of what's most important. Uh, that's our fano, that's our tamariki, that's our uh, whakapapa. Yeah, I, I. You know, those are the things that we, as you were saying today, repeatedly to us, uh, stand on those things. Yes. Don't forget them. They're the most important. And I uh, just want to kill Alan for, for doing that. Uh, and also for the great work that you are doing, contributing here in our great society, Aotearoa. I know that you have a great influence and your mana is, is felt. And for all our listeners, check out, uh, our listeners, check out uh, what Alan's doing. Stay up. Cheney sneaks in and out of stuff all over the place. I've, I did some searching on you today. <laughs> You're commentating into all sorts of places and spaces. It was really interesting. And uh, so just encourage our listeners, uh, yeah, with, with Alan, what, what you're doing. And we really look forward to getting you back in. And we'll pick a few more maybe. Sure. And we'll just pick them out as we go. And, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, look forward to having you back then. So, uh yeah, no, Kilda. So for our listeners, uh, there you go. Uh, just another another story about real life, um, getting off the couch, having a go. And uh, tonight we've been listening to Alan, his life story, uh, as he's come through and, and today doing some really good stuff. So yeah, if he can do it, we can do it, as, as the saying goes. And as Māori, maybe just put a little bit of X Factor on it. <laughs> nah, all good. So, uh, now kia ora. Apiti hono tātai hono, to hunga mate, ke te hunga mate. Apiti hono tātai hono, to hunga ora, ke te hunga ora. Um, nō reira, tēnā koutou. Tēnā koutou. Till next week. <laughs>
tena kato kato kia ora